There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. Lamilia Malibus here. How are you? Nice to see you. Um, good to be here as always. Uh, so what we'll do, let's start off with a text that came in a little while ago. Uh, we can't get to the traffic fines thing, but actually that's quite an interesting question. If you do get a traffic fine and you are sure that you didn't see the flash, say, of a camera going off and you receive a speeding fine, for example, uh, what the police do is they take there's photographic evidence if there is a speeding fine, isn't there? And you, you are allowed to ask for that. Sure. Am I, am I correct well, I mean, that? actually, that's available if you just go to um, the RTA website and put in the the details of your license plate. Actually, they whatever the traffic fines you have been issued, there will be an attachment to every fine and note with author- I speak with authority. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's been years, years and years ago. But even years ago, it was available. So yeah. you'll actually you'll put up. There'll be an attachment you can open, and it will actually have a photograph of that alleged uh, um, misdemeanor or offense or whatever it was that, that the fine when the fine was taken uh, or registered. So there will be a picture of the violation. So that evidence is available already on on, on your own, sort of on, uh, under your license plate registration. Uh, now, if you want to dispute it, you can. You can just go to the traffic court and dispute it. And I, once again, I have to uh, be honest, uh, I have done it myself years and years ago, okay. and I was successful. Yes. And it was, uh, it was actually for jaywalking. Uh, I w- was given a traffic fine uh, because and I had not actually crossed the road I was looking at potentially crossing but I had not crossed the road and the policeman came and gave me a fine and out of principle I wanted to contest it and I did so the avenues are available it just it's 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 effort and it's time but if you um, like me if it was a matter it's a matter of principle uh, the recourse is available obviously you need to have some legitimate grounds to contest it uh, but otherwise, yes, it's certainly as possible. So let me just get this straight: you're you're, you're not accused of jaywalking. Judge me. I, never would I judge you. <laughs> I've learned that much. She gets so, enough of that at work. <laughs> I can tell you. Uh, so you were stood, preparing to cross the road, looking both ways, etc. As you and I grew up, NLT with the Green Cross Code. I guess mm-hmm. there's something in uh, the US similar, but just road awareness and safety. And you were penalised for? Did you take a step and then a step back? Or have you no, in fact, because it was a, it was a very big road, so I was I was not even really prepared yet ready to to cross i was just walking along the road trying to see if i could cross right uh, and but that obviously for uh, uh, that that traffic policeman uh, was that was enough uh, and you received a fine on the spot mm-hmm. there and then, and That's right. the, the gentleman came up to you and correct. You and a- it was interesting because he asked me uh, asked me for my driver's license. Uh, back then, perhaps the process was different. I have it's been years and years ago, yeah. so that uh, the good thing is that I haven't received a, a fine in many many years. So I don't know what the current process is. But at that point, he asked me for my for my driver's license, which I gave him without really thinking about anything else. And then he just kept it and said, "Well, here is an exchange for a driver's license. Here is a ticket." Uh, so I don't know whether the process is still the same, but um, but obviously I had to go and claim my my license. But as part of it, I also uh, knocked a few doors, and I was just very persistent to try to get to the boss. Um, so you would think now it would be Emirates ID, and there would be, uh, I guess, a slightly different system. But in theory, the procedure would be the same or similar. Sure. I, at this point, maybe they do not take your license physically, just mm. because it's probably less relevant now in the, the age of technology. But um, but back then, uh, uh, the process probably all the same. Is just about which documents you exchange, if at all. 
Okay, so in answer to the text, is there any way to object to traffic fines? Is there a way of doing this? Is there any use? There's no evidence given. So there is a procedure to that, and you can go to the traffic court. Absolutely, yes. Okay, so that's the answer to there. Let's talk to Ali, who should be on line three, I think. Ali, afternoon to you. Good afternoon. Sorry to keep you waiting there. We got to you as quick as we uh, could. You were questioned about a commercial transaction. Am I right, Ali? That's right. Okay. Uh, so uh, my my question is regarding a commercial transaction. I would like to put it in the first degree so it could be understood better. Uh, my company had uh, uh, contracted somebody to purchase some goods six months ago, which was to be delivered within three months' time. Uh, the goods were not delivered. Uh, they kept on delaying it. Uh, just last week, they called that the goods are ready. So when we went to inspect it, the goods were not according to what we had contracted them for. Now, in our invoice or whatever, um, the quotation against which we have made payment, we have not specified any penalties or any uh, things for delay. The only thing we have specified that the goods should be delivered within three months' time. Now, I would like to know if we have any legal recourse against them to claim for any damages, compensation. And by the way, now they're even refusing to give us the goods. So that's another thing as well. Um, it's a great, great question. In short, yes, you still have a recourse. And it comes down to whether you're able to prove comp- uh, damages. Uh, so in... so. Ultimately, what you're talking about is a contractual dispute. So you had a contract, um, however it was drafted or verbalized, you had a contract for purchase of goods, They were and the goods were not delivered. So if you can show that because of that the, the delay in delivery, you have suffered damages, and that these damages were related uh, to the delay, and they were also reasonable, then yes, you can um, you can file a case for breach of contract. And that would be under, under the law, not so much the contract, but the compensation for the breach of contract is provided for by law. Um, So you just need to make sure that you have sufficient evidence to present to the court um, that you have actually suffered damages as a result of this delay and the absence of a a clause in the contract will not prejudice your right. And this would be um, done in the civil courts or would it be under the DED or some other venue? It will be the civil courts. A DED is just a, it's a regulatory authority, just in licensing and regulatory authority. Um, they do have a consumer protection department there. We can lodge complaints against for consumer type matters, but this is not one. So the only, the only avenue that's available to you is the court, and that would be civil court. So it would be a civil claim. Ali? I understand. All the Thank best. Thank you very much. For Appreciate you calling. Right. That's Ali. Um, interesting, that, actually. I suppose in a situation like that, um, you need to include a penalty clause, don't you? By well, interesting, and that was actually, I was going to add that. Uh, even having a penalty clause sometimes does not really address the situation because often companies will put in, or parties will put in, a penalty clause uh, of, what, of a certain amount, and often that particular clause is referred to as liquidated damages. Mm. In other words, instead of... Com- uh, proving or calculating what the damages might be when the when the breach happens, they will in advance agree to a certain amount. But the jurisprudence here is such that courts always have authority to even pare down those so-called liquidated damages because they want to see proof that they comport with the actual damages suffered. So even if you have a damages clause, if you cannot sh- substantiate that you have actually suffered the damages, the courts will not grant them to you. So one way or the other, you always need to be able to prove to uh, to prove that you have actually have suffered something. Just the breach in of itself. Well, what does cl- what claim does that give you? If mm. you breach a contract, but if you have not suffered as a result, then what what am I claiming from the court? 
So you need to show damages, actual damages. Okay. Drive live. Talks legal. As is Ludmilla Yamalova from Yamalova and Pleska. Here is a text in for you, Ludmilla. When someone resigns from a free zone company, that company owes salary. How can they be forced to pay an employee upon visa cancellation? Well, I'm assuming this is a question from the employee. I guess uh, so. It is. The only way to in, to force a, a party to act, to, uh, you can't physically force a company or an individual to pay you, so you have to go to court. Mm-hmm. Now, just because it's a free zone company does not mean that um, uh, you don't have a recourse. Uh, usually. The, all the labor claims, unless it's the DFC court, has to go have to go through the uh, labor courts. Now, before you apply to, uh, before you register your claim with the labor court, you need to go through what's generally referred to as mediation in a particular free zone, because the the free zone employees are not registered with the Ministry of Labor. When you file a ministry uh, a court case at the at the labor court, you need to show that somehow your claim is la- is labor-related. If you're registered with the Ministry of Labor, then there's an automatic link between the Ministry of Labor and the labor courts. For free zone employees, that's not the case because they are not registered with the Ministry of Labor. And this is why all the free zones, they have um, their own mediation, to some, some sort of mediation authority. And uh, before you file a claim with the uh, labor court, you need to get an NOC or some sort of approval or sign-up from, uh, from the free zone to file a claim with the, uh, with the labor court. So what you would do as an employee, you would go and uh, file first a complaint with the um with the mediation department at that particular free zone. And they normally, what they do is that they reach out to the company and try to settle with the company. The company does not have an obligation to show up or to um, to offer you a settlement. But once, um, but the, the, the motions will be scheduled, such as the meeting, and then the, medi- the meeting does not happen, or if it's not successful, then as an, as an employee, you can request the mediation committee to issue you with a, a letter, an OC letter for you to go to court. And and that happens as a, as a matter of practice. They will not refuse you unless your claim obviously was successfully settled with the employer. Uh, and once um, you have that NOC, then you go to the Ministry of Labor and you lodge a complaint with the, uh, the Ministry of Labor. You, you lodge a complaint with the labor court and then ask for the payment of your end of service or your uh, whatever employment entitlements might be. So that's really the only way for you to do that. And as employee, it's it's a simpler process. And in general, Ministry of uh, Labor courts are m- much more efficient exactly uh, for these very reasons. Because as an employee, if you're not getting paid, uh, then obviously you are, your position is, is being quite... Um, uh, compromised of just carrying on your um, daily uh, daily activities so that's why the courts look at this uh, as a matter of priority so therefore it's not a complicated case for you to bring uh, bring forward and as an employee you don't need to hire a lawyer to do it you just need to know the process uh, but and need to make sure that everything is submitted to the courts is in Arabic but otherwise you can represent yourself as well sure and how do you assuming you get a judgment from the court uh, that says the company has to pay whatever uh, is decided is due how do you then collect that uh, that's a good question so the ultimately uh, a court judgment is just that it's, it's just a piece of paper so yeah. unless you can uh, you enforce it it remains to be just that uh, so with um, just like any other any other court decision you would if uh, unless the other party pays the, se- the the judgment amount then you will need to proceed with what's called the enforcement proceedings and so that's a separate court process and as part of the enforcement proceedings you ask the court to ultimately uh, um, 
learn or figure out what assets that particular party might have and then as you as all the data coming in be the land department the various ministries the the free zones the bank accounts uh, as that information coming forward then you're asking the courts to freeze a particular amount to cover your uh, your judgment okay there's an answer to the question thank you for the text here's sarah line two sarah afternoon Hi, uh, good afternoon. Good to have you on. A number of texts in for you today. Uh, it's probably easier if you just put your question to Ludmilla, Sarah. Uh, hi, uh, thank you for taking my call. So I was um, terminated and just uh, by my employer after completing my probation period, um, seven months. Okay. Um, and then I asked for my end of service compensation and my employer refused to pay it. Um, then I went to the Minister of Labor office um, to file a complaint. Uh, as my understanding, this is the first step, but I realized I actually don't have any papers registered with the Minister of Labor. And I'm not sure what would be my next step and what are my rights here in this case. And uh, Sarah, just for clarification, the company, the so-called or the alleged employer, they were based in a free zone? Or at least you were led to believe that they're in the free zone. It, it's actually I I found out it's a mainland. I, I I'm coming from abroad, so I actually didn't know there's like a free zone and mainland. But it is a mainland company. It's not a free zone. Okay, um, it's a great question. It's even though it doesn't in- involve the free zone. But so what's happening in your case is that you were offered an employment by or employment by a company that actually does not have legal existence. Uh, and uh, so it may be challenging for you in terms of uh, trying to enforce the judgment, but not necessarily in trying to pursue the judgment or to pursue mm. your claim. So the way what you need to do is, is it's correct, as you have found out, because the company was not legally infor- formed yet. This is why they're not registered with the Ministry of Labor, even though they ultimately were maybe would have been or will be a main uh, a mainland company they are not yet at, the, at least at the relevant time they are not uh, yet registered as such and so therefore they will not have data with the ministry of labor so that's why when you went to the ministry of labor obviously they couldn't find your file now that does not necessarily preclude you from uh, seeking compensation for the time that you were that you were employed. What you need to do next, and this is out of practice, uh, is send an email to the Ministry of Labor, uh, ba- trying to um, you know, basically stating your claim. If you do not either do not re- do not receive a response from them, or will receive a response that they do not have you on file, that in of itself is important, and you must preserve that document, because then with that document you will go to the minis- to the labor court. And file a claim with the labor court. They might ask you then, where is your NOC or re- referral letter from the Ministry of Labor? And then you will say, I'm not registered with the Ministry of Labor. Here is the letter or here's the email um, showing that either that I have lodged my complaint with them and they have not responded or that they said uh, they do not have a file on me. And it doesn't matter which, whether it's one or the other. The fact is that you've approached them. You you need to just show evidence that they you've approached them and they did not respond to you. That in itself will be sufficient. And then you go to the court. So, and then in the labor court, you file the regular claim for your end of employment entitlement, which basically mm-hmm. you just said, at the end of service, you're not entitled to because you only worked for them for seven months. And the end of service, the, it's a UAE version of a pension plan is only... Uh, only kicks in after one year of service, which you have not reached mm. yet. But you certainly, mm. since you have passed your probation, you will be entitled to the notice period, whatever. The minimum is one month, unless in your contract um, there was a longer notice period. So review your contract.
contract mm-hmm. for that, but minimum will be one month and um, and potentially arbitrary dismissal. So if your contract was limited in nature, then you mm-hmm. will definitely be entitled to three uh, three months of full salary as arbitrary dismissal in addition to the notice. And if your contract mm-hmm. was unlimited, and then it's up to three months, and it's really up to the to the court to decide whether it's three months, one month um, in your particular case. Um, so it's, it's it's that's more of a, a question mark. But certainly, you'll be entitled to your notice period and and some form of arbitrary dismissal and whatever unpaid dues and vacation that you will have incurred that has not have not been paid yet. Sarah, okay. how how does that help you? I mean, you you were here for some time working for a company that had what no no offices. Yeah, correct. Yes. Okay, so yes. uh, and, and, and who did were, were you sponsored by anyone while you were? I am actually I was sponsored by my husband, so they didn't need to. Uh, meanwhile, meanwhile they were they were processing my papers, so I was sponsored by my husband. But sure. I found out that they were not processing any papers. So, so in theory, you had a, an NOC from your husband to receive a labour card, and that was being processed or under processed, but was never really being processed. Yes, correct. correct. Okay. Has, has yeah. Miller, what Lebinda said, uh, helped you in at all? It's it's actually very helpful. So so Good. I can uh, the first step would be sending the email and then whatever response I get, just go direct with the court. Correct. Okay, Correct. Sarah, all the best and thank you for calling. Good luck. Thank you so much. All right, that's uh, Sarah's issue. Let's go back to the text, uh, NLT. Yeah, a couple of quick fire ones for you here, Ludmilla, that's come in. One says, do terms and conditions have to be drafted by a lawyer? Because we hear from you, you know, Terms and conditions might say and think they mean a lot of things, but um, they're not always enforceable. Well, they are enforceable if um, if the parties have agreed to them. And it doesn't matter in, in in general for an for a document to be an agreement, an enforceable agreement. It doesn't need to be called an agreement or a contract or an enforceable document, as long as it, parties have agreed to it. It's now an enforceable document. It could be written on the paper napkin. Uh, now, with regards to the terms and conditions, does it have to be uh, drafted by a lawyer? Absolutely not. I mean, no agreement needs to be or is required to be drafted by a lawyer unless you want it to be drafted as such. What is important to highlight is that the terms and conditions is a legal document. It is a contractual document. So therefore, in as, if, as, as sound business practice, you should want a legal document to be drafted by a qualified professional. Because it's a legal document, just like when you, if you have a medical issue, you want to go to a doctor versus go to a, a neighbor who has read medical books, for example. So, it, but it's a it's a personal choice. We see a lot of companies and other and other parties um, choose to draft their own agreements, and um, that's that's their choice. Um, otherwise, there is no requirement, or there's no law in this country or in any other country that agreement um, should be drafted by lawyers. So common sense would dictate that if you want a legal document drafted, you probably should approach a legal professional. Indeed, that's the good advice. That's fair. I mean, we hear this on ads all the time. You, you'll hear and you'll see ads, won't you, uh, yeah. in newspapers or ads on uh, radio stations, for example, and it will say it will have the very quick decencies apply uh, at the end of it. And you always, well, I always think, I wonder what they are. Well, it's interesting because there, there's another aspect to T's and C's and is just often they will include provisions that are legal and not enforceable. So for example when you drop off your card of LA or if, and there will always be this part of T's and C's that the company is not is not responsible for whatever happens to your car. Well that's not enforceable so if you want that to be included in your document that's okay but at least it'd be helpful if you had some advice from a professional 
managing your expectations in terms of whether that particular clause that you you have as part of your fundamental sort of contractual uh, foundation with your customers is is enforceable or not but um Again, it's company's choice, and we see so many agreements that are drafted by, not not drafted by lawyers. And then when when parties come to us, it's a bit of a damage control. At that point is just too late. A uh, little, but you know, it is. What, what can you do? I mean, people here like to to believe that they can be their own drafters, they can be their own experts, and that's all right. In some cases, it works. In more mm. complicated cases, less so. It's probably not worth it. Uh, so I'm going to go to a swanky hotel at the weekend and drive up to the valley, and then I'm going to pick up my um, ridiculous truck from the valley at the end, and there's a great big dent in the door. So well, you if can just I say have a that you didn't that drop says, off the car. It wasn't the truck. It was a Ferrari. For example, well, yeah, one of my other cars, clearly. Mm-hmm. But I mean, if it comes back with a big dent in the door, uh, and the valet says, "Well, tough luck," I can contest that. Indeed. Okay, I'm detecting a little cold. Are you feeling all right? Thank you. I, if the show was yesterday, I wouldn't have been able to come. I have to tell you that. You'd never yeah. ever let us down. Uh, well, this is why I choose my sick days <laughs> <laughs> with your show in mind. Yeah. Yesterday, I was pinned to the bed all day long. Are you really? Yes, today I was able to peel myself off, and uh, here I am. There, there's an image for you. <laughs> Will be... peeled herself off the bed to make it into Drive Live. And I tell you what, it is much appreciated. There's an awful lot of questions to get to, and I think it's worth going back to. This was one of the first questions in today. Yes, this is in from Kumar. It says, hi, I registered a bounce check last year. When I checked with the police on the status of the case, I was informed that the signatri- signatory was attested and that he had multiple bounce check cases against him, arrested rather. Do I now need to request to a public prosecution to transfer the case file from the police station to them? And this is because the the bounce check amount is in excess of that 200,000 dirham mark, which is where things change, don't they? Uh, yes, but not necessarily in terms of the process. Uh, with regards to the um, uh, to the check itself and the process, um, uh, normally when you file a criminal case, you go to the criminal, uh, to the police, and then if the police finds there's sufficient evidence, then it will transfer the case to the public prosecution. Sometimes the police will refer you directly to the public prosecution, so certain cases can be filed directly with the prosecution versus starting with the police. But the process is always the same. It ultimately will end up in the court of the prosecution. In re- with regards to Kumar's question, it is not necessary. It's it's not really actually, you don't really have standing right now to ask the police to transfer the case to the prosecution. That should happen as a matter of, of course, as a matter of practice. Uh, sometimes uh, when there is a backlog of cases, uh, just revisiting the police station and reminding you uh, them of your case may help push the case forward uh, but ultimately it's up for them you can't really request for it to be transferred it's, it's for them they're the only ones who can do it but, but a little bit of nudging may help uh, so that's with regards to the process so ultimately it will go to the public prosecution and then if the person has already been arrested before and bounce check is, is bounce check so there will be uh, there will be uh, a judgment against the person now once you have pr- from public prosecution or public prosecution will argue to the court so you ultimately have a judgment from the criminal court once you have a judgment from the criminal court, that in of itself does not give you a judgment for money. That only uh, is a judgment against the person for, for having committed the crime. Then with that criminal court judgment, you will now, now have to file a cival claim uh, and um, for compensation. 
So it's very important to understand that it's a two separate cases. You need to have a criminal case because once you have a criminal case judgment, then there is already proof that the person is at fault and that the person owes you that money. So the civil case will be simpler, but it is a separate case uh, which you must wait to file or, or to commence prior to the criminal judgment being issued because the criminal judgment will just be uh, a penalty against the, uh, the offender, which is a fine that will be paid to the government and perhaps a jail sentence. Now, with regards to the, uh, the amount of the check, why the 200000 is important is because there have been some changes in the, uh, in the application of the balance, case, uh, balance checks, and that is anything above below $200,000 no, no, no longer is penalized by, uh, by a jail sentence, uh, and uh, it's just a fine, whereas anything above the 200000 there is still a jail, jail sentence involved, so perhaps in this particular case, the person is in jail. But one way or the other, for your purposes, it doesn't matter whether he or she is in jail, what you need is to get paid. Um, so and for that ultimately you will, will need to have a civil court judgment uh, for the 200,000 plus whatever damages that um, that the court will grant you here's another question in by text it is from Ali question about the labor laws we had an employee to whom we paid a documented loan amount the employee left on vacation surprise surprise didn't return from vacation which avenue do we need to go uh, down to get a judgment against this employee so that we can recover the loan amount? Well, there are two things you can do. One, if the employee left uh, on vacation prior to having been paid the full salary, for example, or or vacation, which probably not, not likely, mm. uh, but certainly if that's the case, then you want to create some uh, paper record uh, for your internal files to show that, let's say, you have offset at least part of that unpaid salary against the loan. Uh, so also, um, if there were any end of service, presumably this employee will have been entitled to uh, end of service. So do your your calculations. I mean, number one, do a, a termination letter. Uh, again, for your internal purposes, because the employee has left, probably is not going to come back. But for your internal pr- records, you want to have clear record that that employee has now been terminated. And as a result... And there are certain entitlements that he or she might be entitled to. And then for internal records, you offset the amount of the loan from all those entitlements. Now, the loan, the loan can still be uh, much, much greater than what you'll be able to offset, if anything. Uh, so for the rest of it, all you, you can do is file a case with the court. Um, and um, it, it could be either labor court or civil court because it's um, depending on how the loan agreement is drafted. Uh, but um, And then all you can do is just pursue that, uh, the breach of that loan agreement through the courts and then have a court judgment. And, and ultimately, um, again, it goes into enforcement. So if you have a court judgment, uh, then you'll have to enforce it. And enforcing a judgment, and the court will have to seek all the different assets that the person may have, which presumably in this case, he or she does not. But, um, but if there are no other assets, unpaid judgment becomes an offense. So whenever the person travels into the country, tries to come back to the country, uh, then you will have leverage against him or her at that point in time. Okay. Uh, Dr. Carthy, a couple of texts in from our, I don't want to curry favour with dental professionals, but one of our favourite dentists in LT. Yes, he says, what's the usual notice period for a limited contract? A li- usual notice period is, well, statutory notice period is one month. And then unless the contract provides otherwise, um, back in the old days, uh, during the heyday, as, as I like to say it, um, it was not unusual to see a six-month contra- uh, six uh, notice period, especially for uh, more senior positions. Mm. Uh, now, with regards to the Ministry of Labor, they have limited it now to three. 
uh, free zones are not uh, do not have such limitation. So it really depends on the profession. So what a reasonable is um, is you know the more senior a position is, the, the sort of longer the notice, anywhere between three to six months. Uh, but for um, for everybody else, the statutory and this is minimum. Uh, you cannot reduce this is one month. And the follow-up question is, and if one serves a notice period, will the person have to pay any compensation? No, if you've served the notice period, you do not have to pay compensation. Um, there is a provision, though, if you are terminating a limited contract early, so if you're resigning from a limited contract early, and then there is up to one and a half month compensation that the company might request from the departing employee. However, that particular compensation is not by default. The company cannot by just automatically withdraw it. It's for the court to decide because... Um, that particular so-called penalty is is drafted as compensation. So now only the court can decide that the, whether the company has suffered any damages in order to be entitled to compensation. So the practice is, however, that most companies will just deduct this month and a half from the employee, and this is for limited contracts only. Mm-hmm. Uh, but otherwise, in most cases, it's it's um, yeah. I mean, if you know your rights as an employee, then uh, then you know legally speaking, the company cannot do it without a court order. Okay, really, really quickly, Ludmilla. Sorry to do this. Um, I'm currently working on a commission basis am I entitled to gratuity payments <coughs> absolutely commission is just part of a salary a commission bonuses and salary are basically treated as one and the same um, so as long as you have documentation to show that you have been getting payments uh, the court will look at the average of those commissions on a monthly basis and use that as uh, as um, for calculation of end of service Ludmilla Malava struggling through I was going to say man flu but it's not is it no, because uh, she's not moaning about girl it. Girl flu. Girl flu. I'd like there to be go. called a girl still. <laughs> <laughs> then you In are. my old age. <laughs> <laughs> then it's fine. Lenoel Yamalavas from Yamalava and Plethka uh, with the legal advice. Uh, and we thank you. Nice to see you. Good to be here. There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com.